Now they're making Ghostbusters with only women. What's going on? Shut up and sit down. We will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on Earth. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Read my lips. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Ah! I love the poorly educated. We're the smartest people. We're the most loyal people. Did you see the memo? (laughs) 20-year-old movie reference? That's good, Nick. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, jokes multiple times. Um... Welcome back, guys. Sparsville Politics. I'm your host, Nick McGuire. <clears throat> With me, as always, uh, Dr. Uh, Bill Muck from North Central College and Dr. Phil Barker from Keene State College. Hi, guys. Hello. Hi. Hello. Uh, yeah, as my horrible joke uh, that we came in with suggests, um, <clears throat> the Nunez memo, that's that's the big news. we got to talk memo. We Lots of talk memo. About I mean, like, we're, we're just, our big topic is just going to be memo we're not just going to talk about the memo but we're going to talk a lot about the memo we're going to dive into the memo it's, just, it's like three pages you can't talk about it that that's long. true that's true uh, i crept i think it crept onto the fourth page you know that's did it it's like an undergrad paper where there's two sentences on the last page and <laughs> i think i saw claim it. that whole page yeah <laughs> that's right i saw it published in i think it was a washington post or something it was probably the shortest washington post article i've read in a long time yeah <laughs> right in some ways the, the memo wasn't the big thing it was the build up to the memo all the other stuff around the memo the memo didn't really matter so, yeah, yeah that's true yeah do you want uh, to give some background sure background so uh, let's actually let me start with this so did you, so our favorite uh former deputy assistant to the president and podcast favorite sebastian gorka in the run-up to the release of the memo stated that the nunez memo would be a hundred times bigger than the offenses that kicked off the american revolution wow Serb Gorka laying no. down. Yes, he was saying that this memo was a big deal. Uh, and so the, the, uh, the Nunez memo alleges that the FBI improperly obtained a surveillance uh, on former Trump foreign policy advisor Carter Page uh, using the Steele dossier. Uh, the memo was released on Friday. Uh, depending on your partisan sensibilities, was either proof that the FBI and the DOJ are hell-bent on taking down Trump or was a big nothing burger. Um, of course, the president seized on the memo suggesting that it totally vindicated Trump. Obviously. And he referred to himself in the third person as Trump. <laughs> so <laughs> there are a gazillion ways to get into this. I, I mean, where do, you, where, do you, where do you guys want to start? What's, uh, Phil, what's the most interesting angle for you? I mean, the, I, I find this all very surreal, what's happening. It... It, it's so incredibly complicated and also stupid at the same time. <laughs> yes. I was trying. I was trying to explain it to like one of my students asked about it the other day in class, and it's like, you know, you could. It's like having one of these like you know diagrams that fills up an entire chalkboard, trying yes. to explain yes. like what is going on here. And in that sense, there's all sorts of different. Uh, I don't know, uh, controversies tied up in this. I, I think the, um, I mean, the, the story for me is beyond everything else is, is the, again, it's back to the theme that we've talked about a lot, which is about partisanship coming first. 
and and you have essentially Republicans and and Nunez or Nunez is it Nunez or Nunez? I hear both people Nunez. say both. It's Nunez, okay. It's Nunez. Nunez. Devin. I'm just going to call him Devin. <laughs> Devin. <yeah>. Um, <laughs> you uh, you know, Devin writes this memo. I mean, and and it's the release. So this was a cl- the information included in this was classified, right? And and they chose to release classified information for essentially partisan ends. Um, and I I mean I think that is beyond everything else. Because you know the question of whether or not the FBI were in some way improper that we should that should be addressed. But the primary thing is the extent to which you're willing to just basically disregard. Uh, national security concerns and you know again if if we we just finished a presidential election in which the the um putting confidential or classified information at risk was like one of the major issues right and then they're just doing it openly and intentionally um and that's kind of mind-boggling to me the fact that we are at this point where partisanship essentially dictates all sense of right and wrong in these in these issues that that's what this is all about to me yeah Nick, how are you feeling about the memo? I don't really care that much. <laughs> it, like, like, realistically, I read it and I go, okay, I heard that. I've heard that before, and I've heard that. So what what are you telling me that is so yep. earth-shattering at this point? Besides right. the fact that you're trying to make it into this partisan boogeyman mm-hmm. thing, um, I, I realistically, the, the actual content of it was not surprising to me in any way. So the fact that there's... I, I understand why there's a tremendous amount of um, commentary attached to it, uh, negative commentary, because uh, realistically the only benefit of it right now is, uh, from a Republican standpoint, a very conservative Republican standpoint, it's also doing major damage to um, institutional integrity. Right. So I, I think that's an important point. There's a couple things here. One interpretation of this is the... The Nunez? Nunez. Now I'm all screwed. Nunez. Nunez. Okay. He's making the (laughs) argument that the reason we're doing this is because the FBI and the DOJ have been tinged with partisanship. And what they're doing is they use that partisanship to drive this this initiative and then put a wiretap on uh, Carter Page for political reasons, right? And then so we need to look into FISA and that's all of it. But the broader story here is the fact that that has happened enables Trump to throw doubt on the broader Mueller investigation. So there's there's two things here. And I my as we were talking before air, my sense of this and what makes sense why I, I don't know why it all makes sense to me is that I get why Republicans would do that. If you can muddy the waters, if you can make this seem like the investigation, the Mueller investigation is driven by partisan motivations, that individuals with the FBI and the DOJ were trying to had an axe to grind, that that makes sense to me. But I'm feeling this week that conservatives and a lot of republicans genuinely believe that the fbi was driven by motivations of going after carter page and this is really about fisa right so i think there's there's two angles is it about fisa or is it about the Mueller investigation and and i don't i don't know what's what's really what's authentic there and I don't know, maybe that didn't make sense but I just, you know. <laughs> are you asking like what the motivation of like new of, of nunez is yeah, is is it is it to discredit Mueller and say that this whole investigation is corrupt and whatever Mueller comes up with is pointless, or is it really are we really concerned about the FISA court and what's going on there and looking more deeply at what at that process, or are they both combined? I, 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 yeah, I, yeah, I think. Well, I mean, I think they're both um, they're both at 
play here. I think the 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 main players that you have seen this week, I mean Trump and Nunes and those, they're just concerned with casting some level of doubt on the Mueller investigation. That's what this is all about. Um, but since this memo has been released, there have been a number of Republicans who have been on on uh, um, cable news and whatnot who have tried to not distance themselves, but make it clear that this is not about, this doesn't do anything about this. It says nothing about Mueller. This is before, you know, the, the issue we're dealing with is before the Mueller investigation, um, which has been a little surprising to me to see a number of Republicans come out and, and say that, who, who seem to be concerned about the sort of muddying of the Mueller waters. Here, here, and Paul Ryan has been one of those. Paul Ryan came out and said, I was for the release of the memo. I don't think that impacts at all the Mueller inve- investigation. But is that is that a legitimate position to take? If you if you want the release of the memo, isn't that suggesting that you're you think that the investigation itself is compromised? I, I don't I don't understand where Paul Ryan is on this. I don't understand where Paul Ryan is on anything. <laughs> okay, these days, right. I mean, that's, I, I mean, so I don't think. So, Nick, you were saying that nothing in the memo seemed all that surprising. I don't think it was. Um, I don't think there was anything all that shocking in this memo. Um, Nunes came out. What? There was one interview in which it, it turns out that the the complaint that he had, which was that uh, the fact that this information came from the Steele dossier was do- not disclosed, was not actually the case, that it actually was disclosed in a footnote, but he was upset that it wasn't more prominently. <laughs> the font was really small. <laughs> Those <laughs> footnotes are tough to read. <laughs> yes. But I don't think any of that matters because I don't um, you and I talked some this weekend, Bill, that I, it doesn't matter what's in the memo. Right. What the what this whole like release the memo, uh, the vast majority of the American people aren't going to read it. Like I said, it's hard for me to understand the sort of complicated lines, you know, the connections that are involved in this. All this is the the point of this is to create some sense of of doubt. Um, and it does that or to, to or at least to at least feed that sense of doubt that a number of people on the right want to believe, you know, that Trump didn't isn't doing this. The, the FBI is against him. And this allows them to kind of pick that idea up and run with it. I, I, I agree with that in principle. But realistically, like you're saying, um, there really isn't anything very surprising in the memo. So aren't you then just kind of preaching to the converted at that point? Like what what is. I understand the strategic viewpoint of attempting to create doubt, but I think there's enough doubt out there with the people that this would end up influencing that it wouldn't be that effective to begin with. It gives them an opening in the sense that they now have a, you know, quote unquote, documented, um, um, what's the word, statement regarding uh, improprieties, potential impropriety proprieties wow um in governmental institutions and specifically the fbi so that does allow them to cast out on the Mueller investigation and the fbi in general but like it it seems extraordinarily transparent then like that that's clearly your goal at that point I think you underestimate the importance and the power of preaching to the converted. I think that like there's a reason yeah. why there, there there are churches that people go to who are converted to be you know to be talk. Like I think that this is. Oh, I think that you got to keeping... bring religion into it. Phil. No, I'm not. I mean, I'm not being trying to be critical of religion or anything. I'm just saying that this is like you you have you know if 
politics is not about like, hey, I made my point and I move on, right? Yeah, you got to no, keep your base and your group fired up and get them even more pissed off about things. And so, do either of you, or maybe Nick, I'll start with you. Do you think that, is there any authenticity to looking at this to say this is really about the FISA court and how they do things, or is this literally just a way to muddy the waters and to to, to hit the Mueller investigation? I, I mean, uh, personally, yeah. I, I can easily see partisan improprieties in governmental institutions see that makes sense to me nick that makes me feel better because <laughs> then this feels like nixon right what's going on is that they're they're trying to pull down Mueller, and the whole fisa complaint isn't authentic it's just a, a, a ploy no I, I mean i i think that the the general point in the sense of there is partisan there are partisan leanings in governmental institutions i absolutely believe that exists what I don't necessarily believe is that it's a vast conspiracy based on those partisan leanings that is attempting to influence decisions or elections or something like that. So what do you believe? So we were this week there was a poll that came out that 70 73 percent of Republicans polled now believe the Department of Justice and the FBI are working to delegitimize the Trump administration. Okay. <laughs> that doesn't concern you? No, it doesn't concern me because I'm assuming in the last administration, <clears throat> or, or I'm sorry, hypothetically in a um, Democratic administration, which I'm sure will happen sooner rather than later, <laughs> um, we'll see the exact inverse of those numbers as well. Do those Republicans genuinely believe the FBI is out to get Trump? Or... Yes. Oh, they do? Yes. Oh, now I'm confused again, Nick, <laughs> because that's the point. Is this... Oh, I don't Phil, I'm struggling with this because I want to believe that that large percentage of a, a party who thinks that there is bias is doing so for political reasons. But if they authentically believe it, we've jumped off the cliff, right? I mean, the of all institutions, the FBI is one that is more sympathetic to Republican conservative voices. I would think that would be the case. We honestly can't believe that the FBI has been infiltrated by liberals. There's not a bunch of fuzzy-headed liberals running around the FBI, do we? Are they? No. Right. I mean, yes. I, all the all the people who have been right, all the all the list of people who have been targeted by the Trump administration have all been Republicans in the FBI, right? right? Mm. So, Comey, I mean, I, Mueller, I, I, yeah. I think you make a mistake by viewing those two things as so clearly, uh, you know, different that that. It can be the question of are they do they believe this for part? Are they just doing this for political gain or do they really believe this? Those are, are sort of I've become sort of one in the same in yeah. this world, right? They that they're doing it because they're Republicans and they want the Republicans to win. And therefore, they believe it, too. Right. I mean, I think their their motivation is political, but they people believe what they you know, they're not just cynically like. I want to win. They they convince themselves that the, what they believe is true. I, yeah, I, I think that's, <clears throat> that's. Wow, what is wrong with my voice today? <clears throat> Sorry. Um, no, I I think that's that's a really good point. And the other point that you made was they realistically have targeted a huge amount of Republicans during this whole witch hunt, which suggests to me that there is a huge huge identity crisis in the Republican yes, Party, yes. and they have no sure. idea what to believe or who to trust or what segment or faction they should be aligned with, which I, 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 I don't know. That's, that's a scary thought. It is, because to me, this feels more like a fight within the Republican party 
because the what Trump is trying to do is create this as a liberal conspiracy attacking him, but which the, it is. <laughs> the individuals he's attacking are all Republicans. So he fired Comey, a Republican. He's he's angry at Mueller, who's a Republican. Rosenstein is a Republican. Jeff Sessions. There are no liberals that I mean, other than Adam Schiff, who's kind of the more recent attack. This feels like a debate within the law and order old establishment Republican Party. And Trump, which I, I think in some ways is distinct from the Republican Party. You can say the nutcases, too, in the Republican Party. <laughs> <Right>. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, the, the standard of conservatism has become support for Trump to some extent. I mean, we'll get back to this later on with Trump's comments about, like, yes. if you don't applaud for me, you're treasonous, right? But this is that, that you know, that, that support for him is what it means yeah. to be conservative right now. Right, it's right. a weird way. Um it, this, yeah. this is hard for me to wrap my head around, and I'm sorry I'm pulling yep. you guys in, because it's just it's a, a really unique thing where we're attacking these democratic institutions. And, and my read of this is what's going on is that Trump is seizing on this memo to say he's totally vindicated and that the Mueller investigation is corrupt as a way of avoiding what's going to come. At some point, Mueller is going to lay some type of report or indictment on Trump, and by going after the FISA court, for, for Carter Page, who right. is an idiot and clearly he's a dumb hat right a terrible well established ties to russia exactly so i just the republicans are are hanging their their hat on the carter page that's a bad one but uh (laughs) on carter page which is a terrible idea i i I don't get any of this this all seems absurd to me well Uh, the other part of that that's also kind of frightening for me is if there are improprieties, and I swear to God, that's the last time I'm going to say that in this <laughs> segment, um, within the FBI or other federal institutions, this is setting a precedent that we can't trust You know yes. anybody from right. either side of the aisle when they do come with legitimate concerns. If there are legitimate concerns, whether in this administration later on, if it survives, or in future administrations... It's a partisan football at that point, and you can just discredit it because no, oh, that, that that side just wants to win. Like it's just what it is. Especially when you think about the Department of Justice and the FBI, which have historically been separate or immune from those attacks. We think of the FBI as the law and order, and I still do. I still think that institution is independent, and I think you know what Mueller is doing is he's authentically pursuing the truth. Uh, yeah, no, this this deeply troubles me. I don't like it. Well, no, you were. You were talking earlier about whether this is about the Mueller investigation or whether this is about concerns about FISA. Um, there's a whole lot to be concerned about with FISA, right? There is mm-hmm. a there is something. Um, it kind of baffles me that there isn't more of a conservative pushback against FISA, right? So, th- there there is something in my mind that is controversial about all of this, right? That that we that there can be people in the FBI and in the Justice Department that go and get a secret warrant to secretly like spy on people, like. That 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 should be controversial, right? Mm-hmm. That should be something that we should be discussing and should be up in arms about and talking about. But that's not what is happening, right? That's not the House Intelligence Committee hasn't called special, you know, hearings to to look into this, to interview like civil liberties people and talk about, you know, implications. And that's not what's happening, right? That's not where this where this has gone. It's been to pick this one very specific thing tied to Trump. And the, and it's, you know, it's the Steele dossier and Carter Page and all of this stuff together to try to muddy up the waters. And so, yeah, that's where I that's also where I'm confused because uh, not confused. There, 
there's a lot of room here for conservatives to be pissed off, right? And to be upset and, and for people all across the political spectrum to be upset about what's going on. But the, the memo is not about how absurd it is that this can happen in general. It's about that, you know, this is okay that it happens. The problem is that they didn't properly disclose, you know, something, you know, that it was, that it was a politically funded dossier or whatever. Right. And you flip the parties. Traditionally, it's the Republicans who are defending FISA and the court and the ability to do these things. And it's the Democrats who are attacking, saying we need to look deeper. Now we're in a world where it's flipped, where Republicans are attacking FISA and and the Democrats are saying, no, no, this is really important. What's going on here is we need to protect all these secrets. So none of it, none of it makes any sense to me. Right. So go ahead. The the Democrats have written a response memo. A long one. Really, like dip, a, ten pages, ten pages, it's like twelve pages, right? <laughs> and and I haven't seen it, but I, it, it like the Republican one. I mean, they voted to release this one as well. The response. I don't know that it really matters, right? Because I think, like I said before, that what was in the memo didn't matter. What what mattered was that it um, provided, you know, for several news cycles in conservative media and elsewhere. It, it served its purpose at this point. But uh, Trump has the ability to either approve the release of this Democratic memo or not, just like the Republican one. That seems to put him in a weird spot. Is he? I mean, is he going to just release it? Yes. You think? <laughs> yes. Why? I don't see how he doesn't. I think he has to release it, right? How many times have we said this, man? No, that's like, true. He ju- like, really? Like, let's let's <laughs> back the truck guy, up a little bit. Guy's having a military parade. Everybody's right. out like, the window. Let's... let's Let's I, let's be real. Okay, if he does, okay, let's talk about this. If he doesn't release the memo, then suddenly he releases the Republican one. He doesn't release the Democratic one. He's open to th- that criticism, and I think mm-hmm. for that reason, he probably does. Right? I don't think. I mean, a lot of people care, but people not Trump supporters, right? No. I mean, on the right, his supporters are going to love it that he released the Republicans and not the Democrats, and his critics are going to hate it, but that's not going to matter. That's a good point, Nick. I don't think that it matters either But then way. it becomes partisan, right? He can still pretend that it's nonpartisan if he says, well, I just want to expose the FISA court. And, but if he, if he doesn't, if he does say that the Democratic one doesn't, doesn't have merit to be released, I think he falls into that trap. You're probably you both of you are probably right that he says no. He has <laughs> You're managed, overthinking it. Yes. Yes, he has managed to climb out of so many fucking traps. Like it, this is, I think there's a good chance that he doesn't release it. I'm sorry, Phil. Go ahead. No, I, I think that it, I, as I sit here and think about it, I don't think it matters either way. I think if he chooses not to release it, then I I don't know that that sticks around as a news story in the in the grand scheme of all the crazy things that he's done. I don't see that that's going to be the thing come election time that's going to keep him from getting reelected. <laughs> that's true. Um, and if he does release it, I don't you know I don't know that that's going to make a difference. If you're a you know a, a Republican, a, the Democratic memo is not going to change your mind about how you know whether the FBI is corrupt or not. Right. Um, so I don't know that it really. I, I don't know. Maybe I, if if I advised him, I would tell him, yeah, whatever. Wake up in the morning. You just decide what you want to do. It doesn't matter either way. I will say, so he's going at So the Democrats who are putting this together, Adam Schiff, uh, senator, has been one of the lead voices. And he went after Schiff this week in a tweet uh, calling him, quote, little Adam Schiff, uh, who desperate is desperate to run for higher office, is one of the biggest liars and leakers in Washington, right up there with Comey, Warner, Brennan, and Clapper. Exclamation point. Adam leaves closed committee hearings to illegally leak confidential information. Must be stopped. <laughs> that is terrifying in and of itself, right? I mean, that he's, you know, the must be stopped thing we could spend a lot of time talking about. But he is going after 
Adam Schiff for I think this memo mm-hmm. to delegitimize him as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see that. Yeah, so. The the other part of this, which um, isn't necessarily related to to Schiff, but as I was reading that and uh, looking back at my own experiences, you realize, um, regardless of whether or not the the specific information in the memo is true of who spoke to who, that type of um, interconnectedness and um, I'll I'll just say incestuousness mm-hmm. of the Washington establishment and the political system that is part of that city and the federal government is disgusting. <laughs> the it just the ability for that many of the same people to continually make these decisions without any oversight or any sort of investigation. Um, it's it's just baffling to me, and we continue to let it happen because we just we don't really care how the sausage is made, right? I, I, I or we're easily distracted by something else, like especially in Trump military world. parades, right? Exactly, something new new comes along. Yeah, uh, it is. It's it's really we we. I mean, I feel this is just a totally bizarro world. And Trump, the last year has been bizarre, but this feels this story feels like we've taken it to another level. Correct. So, um. Other memo things. All right. So what, another <laughs> another element that came out is, and I, it is I think related. So this week a story came out that said uh, said Trump's lawyers are advising him that he should no longer meet with Mueller. I, I heard that it was hilarious. Yeah. So you know, there's no need. Uh, this is uh, the the story that broke in the New York Times said that the lawyers were concerned that Trump would perjure himself. Right. They and, didn't trust their client. Right. They don't. Which is you know going back to when we had Tom uh, Tom Cavanaugh on the podcast a few weeks ago. He said I would never let. Trump uh, testify, and if he did, uh, you know, I would have him answer like minimal questions. So this is this is not surprising. Uh, does Trump listen to his lawyers? I don't know. I feel like on this one, he um, yeah. he kind of has to. Jail jail is rough. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Phil, what do you think? Uh, I don't. Yeah, I mean, I I mean, I think that to the extent that the lawyers can keep him away, like. Yeah, this is something that the lawyers can actually control, right? Limit access of Mueller, access the access that Mueller has to him. That's the problem: is that once Mueller has access to him, they they can't control what he yeah. does at mm-hmm. that point. So it seems like that. And I don't know. I mean, this is right. I don't under. I guess I don't know enough about the the legal process here, but I'm I'm not sure if they can get away with it. I mean, they were they could they could control the response to some extent, but in order to say we're just not going to respond at all, that starts to bring up questions of, you know, you know, if he can be subpoenaed, and I mean, then then you get into really interesting legal dilemmas yes. that might even end up at the Supreme Court, and um, yeah, I mean, I, maybe that's where they they'll do written responses and claim that that right. is how they're going to respond, but um, but Mueller could reject that. I think you're right, Phil. That's where this gets really interesting. So let's say the the Trump lawyers and Trump says not going to meet with you, executive privilege. Mueller could throw a subpoena at them, and then they would say, well, we're not going to respond, and then that quickly works its way to the Supreme Court. Right. The Supreme Court weighs in, and I, I think in that case. If you look back through the history, there have been a lot of presidents who've been forced to testify, right. you know, whether it's Bill Clinton or uh, George W. Bush for the Valerie Plame affair, Ronald Reagan. I mean, this, there, there mm-hmm. is a long history of presidents being forced to come in and uh, answer questions. So I, they I, did. Was That's the difference. Right. They so, voluntarily did. But then you could even think about Nixon, who wasn't going to give up the tapes. Right. At some point, the Supreme Court says, you've got to give up those tapes. Right. So I think maybe he loses this battle. Uh, but Mueller... Well, that's, yeah. 
that's where it gets interesting because yeah. it, even in the past, I, some of those other, you know, if you look at Nixon, uh, you know, or you know Reagan, others, I, I think would it would have been difficult to or Clinton to goad them into a, into an answer. So the, if if the court rules that they have to meet, you know, they have to actually go in and answer questions or respond. Most of the other presidents had the, you know, this is back to what Tom was saying, had the, I think, the ability to sit there and just, you know, claim executive privilege or, you know, whatever, to, to refuse to answer in person, mm-hmm. which technically, you know, meets the criteria of they have they have responded, right? But they're, they basically not said anything. And, I, and that would be the fascinating part because I can... I think Mueller's really good at this, and I think Trump would be really bad at this, or it would be easily goaded into yes. answering things. So if he's forced to come to to meet, the the sort of just not responding would be the smart way to do it. But I'm I don't know that I would have a whole lot of faith in Trump to do that. Mueller could be like, "I'm taking your parade away." No, you're not. And then like he'll start answering questions. Whatever you want to know, just don't right. take my parade. Fake news. Fake news. <laughs> no, I, I totally agree. And so the lawyers have to be really concerned about all of this. Um, it is. I agree with both of you that this is mind-numbingly stupid, but I, it's fascinating for me in terms of the potential implications of it all. And I'm also deeply troubled by all that's playing out, the attack on the democratic institutions, uh, the way in which I think Trump has successfully convinced many Republicans to come along on this this ride of his, which is just undermining democracy. It's, it's really historical. The wheels are coming off. Yeah. It's not yeah. good. On both sides, I, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, I have to throw that in there because the other side is equally as crazy. I, no, no, Nick, no, yes. no, 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 <laughs> not not Trump crazy, right? We'll see. Okay, okay. They're not. Yeah. All right. That's for another topic. <laughs> we should, all right, we, we should talk beers, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, Philly. What are you drinking? Uh, I'm having a. Uh, this is Brooklyn Brewery at um, a Brooklyn Naranjito. I'm guessing that's how you pronounce that. Which is an orange pale ale, which I had mm. never heard of before. Interesting. Um, and I was pretty skeptical about it, but I've I've enjoyed it. The orange is not like a particularly strong, overwhelming orange. It still tastes like a like a pale ale with just like a hint of the orange to it. It's 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 pretty nice. Un poquito. Yeah. Yes. That. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Nick. You want to tell them about our beer? Uh, we I shared a, a big big bomber. We had a farmhouse contra Belgian style saison from Workforce Brewing, which is out in uh, Plainfield, Illinois, not that far from us. Um, I know you didn't like it that much. <laughs> I'll, I'll put. I thought it was terrible. Oh, it was, really? You know, and I, I, I'll be honest. Like I, I like a I like a lot of beers. I can convince myself that. You know, it's it's useful to try this beer and reflect on it. This felt like I know. All right, you start. You start. I, I like saisons <laughs> yeah. a lot. Yeah, I, I mean, in general, I like saisons. I like this one. Did you good? Yeah, it was it was good. Good. I'm for glad you. somebody could. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's uh, it's not super heavy. It's definitely pretty malty. Mm-hmm. There's lots of different malts in there. It had kind of a a sweetness to it that was countered by the it had like a a nice um light but um creamy long-lasting foam that was a little bit more bitter um it was a nice contrast i i kind of liked it it's yeah i don't know and it's not um i don't know i just liked it it's good i'm glad you liked it because it was to me it was (laughs) the malt it was so much malt and it felt, you know, part of the Belgian style is you just leave it open and everything comes into it. Hmm. There's too much, too much came into too that. Much too much came too into much that. Came into that. So, 
Got to put a wall up. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, hey, Plainfield, good. You know, it's good to have some another close yeah, local super close. brewery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, speed round. Yeah, yeah. All right, first topic. All right, we're talking nuclear weapons here. So the Pentagon released a new nuclear arms policy on Friday that calls for the introduction of two new types of weapons, effectively ending the Obama-era efforts to reduce the size and scope of the U.S. arsenal and minimize the role of nuclear weapons in defense planning. Uh, Defense Secretary Jim Mattis said in an introductory note to the new policy, uh, the first update to the military's nuclear strategy since 2010, so it's been a while, uh, that changes reflect a, quote, need to look reality in the eye. And see the world as it is, not as we wish it to be, Nick. That's fantastic. I'm Love glad it. that we have a realist in office who says this is the world. Now, at a deeper level. It's like le- me in the future. Yes. It's so much fun. At a, at a deeper level, this is a little, it's a major shift. Where suddenly we're talking about the potential use of tactical nuclear weapons. Uh, the focus in this document, uh, which was called the Nuclear Posture Review, was primarily on Russia. And the argument was that Russia has escalated development of nuclear weapons, and the United States needs to respond. Phil, uh, I know you're a big fan of of the Defense Secretary Mattis. Nuclear weapons. And nuclear weapons. Huge fan. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) What's your thought on all this? Or reactions? Uh, I don't... It's... You know, I I saw somebody... um, I forget which policy it was. It was... I guess maybe it was... Uh, the the doc of the immigration stuff. Um, somebody making the argument that Donald Trump doesn't know his own policy, right? If you look at interviews and talk to him, this seems like another example of that, where you have a person at the... Donald Trump has his sort of worldview, and it seems like the people around him are are sort of... It, he's just kind of there for the sort of rhetoric, right? He's, he's the... Um, the sort of ceremonial head of things, but the other people around him are the ones who are actually doing the yes. business, right? And that is, again, where... The 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 fact that we're sort of doubling down on nuclear weapons seems like a sort of Trumpian thing to do, but the focus on on Russia again, um, the I, I don't yeah I don't know I it worries me a, it doesn't worry me that much but it worries me a little bit there there does seem to be to some extent some element of uh, this is just essentially. I don't know. It feels a little bit like a middle finger at the Obama administration, yes. right? Yeah. Like yeah, this so. is like um, looking at and, them as being naive, right? And yeah. that the, 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 we need to continue to escalate. In the document, they talk about they say that future arms control agreements are difficult to envision, right? That this, this is that we're not going to look to reduce these weapons with Russia. They also the most controversial element is that the United States might use uh, nuclear weapons in response to a non-nuclear attack. So if there was some type of devastating attack that wasn't a nuclear attack we're now saying that this might be appropriate to respond so it is it's a fairly significant shift and uh they've said that trump has been briefed but that he is leaving a lot of this up to mattis to articulate which again speaks to the significance of having the president in control of this as opposed to a uh, a defense secretary. Did they mention specifically the types of weapons or ty- just two new classifications of so nuclear weapons? They're looking at it's it's like these low yield weapons. Yeah. So the idea that they're they're, they're very tactical. Like tactical nukes, right? Yeah. So that you're you can use these weapons and you can limit the fallout from them. Yeah. Uh, which terrifies some people who say that once you use a, a, a nuclear weapon, even if it's a low yield nuclear weapon, mm. you've you've used it and it allows for the proliferation of this. Others say like these are these are really good at blowing up you know stuff that's 
dug down on the earth. So I'm assuming that they're going to use these to um, destroy like server farms and whatnot that the Russian hackers <laughs> use right. to you know influence elections and cause disarray and um, disillusionment and, and you know in our country and in other countries across the world because um, that would seem to yes. be the only reason to use a yeah yeah, yeah. I, I mean that's that's where the focus should be so I'm assuming that's what they're focused on right. not that they're going to nuke someone in the near future the it all like, sounds reasonable Nick all I of just, it there are so many other immediate threats yeah. right now and not only that the nations that do have the ability to use nuclear weapons they're like that's not their most uh, effective and meaningful tool that they're using right now get better at cyber warfare and cyber attacks and um you know just anything besides nuclear weapons please do that well, please it's important to note the cost of this they're talking like 1.2 trillion to to get this all up and running that's that's a lot no right <laughs> no i don't want that i don't want my tax dollars going to that i i think i did i just hear the bell ring no no you have 28 uh, seconds Barker. okay um, uh, so I, I don't, I, I have, I'm deeply concerned at like all of the focus on nuclear weapons lately. I, I think that again, I I've mentioned this before. I, I worry that we in our minds sort of underestimate or have gotten comfortable with the notion of it without realizing what they, what they do. But this is, I think the thing that worries me about this, I saw another story this week in which that talked about how military leaders are are talking like in Afghanistan they're finally able to fight a war like they're finally they're they're being given the chance to actually win this war 17 years in right and and so there's this the the it's important to have civilian control of the military and Trump which who has sort of turned over control of the military to the military um you know, it's not that there's anything wrong with the military, but having that extra check is is an important thing. And this seems like another one where, like, that we've sort of told the military do whatever. And and I I don't know. It, it starts. You know, this is a it's a small thing, right? But there are these little kind of warning flags that that concern me as the military gets excited about building and using more nuclear weapons or whatever. Well, it's easy to fall back into a proliferation game where, I mean, this is essentially what's happening. Putin is developing his nuclear arsenal, and the United States is saying, well, we need to respond. This is the same thing that happened in the Cold War. We have enough nuclear weapons to blow up the world over and over and over again, to your point, Nick. So why get drawn into this? Will Russia suddenly have an advantage if they develop some slick nuclear weapons? No, I don't think it... It doesn't fundamentally change the balance of power. Russia continues to be a relatively weak country. Don't get pulled in by this. Well, uh, yeah. I, I mean, again, not to keep harping on the point, but the their capabilities in uh, cyber warfare and just in espionage in general is far outpacing anything that we can do right now and causing a huge amount of chaos right. domestically. Yes. Like it's... This has been the fact that we've been able to discuss what we've been discussing over the past year suggests that their capabilities far outstrip anything that we can do to them. It's it's complete disarray at this point that there's even the notion that Russia, Russia specifically has the ability to influence us to the degree that we think they've influenced us 
that in itself is a victory, and you didn't have to nuke anything. For a relatively small price. Right. For nothing. Yeah, absolutely. No, I agree. I agree. All right. I'm sure they liquidated the people who did it immediately (laughs) afterwards anyways. Nick, do you want to get the clip ready? Oh, God, This is the... So our next topic is Trump attacking Democratic non-clappers. Non-clappers as treasonous. So well, they should be strung up. Right. President Trump on Monday accused Democrats who did not clap during a State of the Union address as being un-American and maybe even, you said it, Nick, treasonous. Uh, his remarks came in a rambly discursive speech at a factory in Ohio in which he celebrated the revival of the American economy. Um, so let's, let's just play and then let's go we'll to the talk. videotape. Yeah, yes. And it got to a point where I really didn't even want to look too much during the speech over to that side because honestly it was bad energy <laughs> no it was bad energy you're up there you've got half the room going totally crazy wild they loved everything they want to do something great for our country and you have the other side even on positive news really positive news like that they were like death <laughs> and un-american un-american Somebody said treasonous. I mean, yeah, I guess why not? Can we call that treason? Why not? I mean, they certainly didn't seem to love our country very much, but... They don't love our country. They're communists. Why not, Phil? Why not call the opposition party treasonous? This is terrible. (laughs) My God. God damn it. Phil makes Phil, so mad. Oh, Phil's not low energy at all. <laughs> so, I, okay, so the fact that he would like treason, which is the the, the highest crime in the in the country, yes. right? And, and he very specific, off, right? Very specific in the Constitution about what qualifies as treason. But the fact that he would throw it out like treason, yeah, why not? Yeah. <laughs> that is insane. <laughs> that a president would accuse anyone openly of treason is like you know significant. And I know that he's not. He's just he's just bullshitting. Right. But but still, the thing that the bigger concern is the 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 substance of that is equating support for him with being a good American. Right. That if you don't cheer for what I say, then that makes you a traitor. And that is that is what and I know again, I He's not like masterminding something, right? He's I don't he's not out like getting ready to set up concentration camps or whatever. But the the fact that you use that sort of rhetoric is important and it's significant, right? And that's why I mean, you know, I, most countries go out of their way to try to separate the those two things that you can be in opposition to the government, you know, whoever's in power and still be a loyal good citizen. And in fact, being a good loyal citizen sometimes means being, you know, in opposition. And so it just it just drives me crazy and pisses me off. <laughs> That's hilarious. Nick? I don't, I don't care that much. Really? <laughs> no, no. I, I mean, realistically, I, I agree. I think he's bullshitting, and that's just what he does. And he doesn't really know the um, gravity of, of what he's saying. And, I, I mean, there's a long history of the opposition party not standing up so i like it doesn't bother me any i don't necessarily think it bothers him as much as the way that it's coming off i think it's it's good pr and good optics for him for the base 
and I I kind of think it's a non-story. So I, in the context of the prison that we're living in. The, in. <laughs> no, I wasn't going to disagree with that part. I was going to disagree with the part that I, I, I think it does bother him. I think that's the... That they don't stand up. Yes, I think that that, that is, it is essentially, this is all one big ratings game for him, right? And so I don't know that the policy actually matters that much. It's the sort of, like, the attention and the popularity okay. for him. And so I think, um, I, I don't, I mean... Yeah, I think it does eat at him like that. He's like, I'm giving this speech and I'm doing a good job and those guys like it and those guys don't. And they're assholes. Right? I think that's really kind of how he. Well, thinks. I mean, it was blatantly obvious. He just stopped looking at that yeah, whole right. side of the yep. room like five yep. minutes into the speech. To me, the danger here is that you're attacking an opposition. So in a democracy, there is always going to be an opposition and you may disagree with those policies, but they have a right to exist. And language like, like this pushes you in a direction where you say the opposition is un-American. That, I think that, and I think you're right, Nick, I don't think he gets it, but he doesn't want any opposition. And, mm-hmm. But that's how democracies work. You mm-hmm. have to have, the, in any good democracy, you have to accept that the press is going to critique you, that the opposition party is going to go after you, and not be polite. And that's you have to have some thick skin. So, no, for me, this was uh, troubling. And I... I wish more Republicans were upset by it. I mean, I will say Jeff Lake came out and gave this big speech where he talked about that treason, you know, is not a punchline, Mr. President. But nobody listens to Jeff Flake anymore. Yeah. And Sarah Huckabee Sanders even said that. She's like, well, nobody cares about him. But <laughs> but good for Jeff Flake for fighting the fight and being a voice on the Republican Party to say that this is unacceptable. Um, Romney Flake. <laughs> that's right. You're right. It's, it's going to happen. So... Um, <laughs> I it, it yeah I it's I I don't know like I I still I don't think that he understands the gravity of it and I don't think he I think he cares but not to an excessive degree regardless what he's saying is again getting taken not out of context but being taken to heart by a significant portion of the country who really doesn't want opposition like that who or who you know does think that people should not be allowed to do that yeah which is where the which is why it's scary right right? that he could just be he can he can be bullshitting or just like talking off the top of his head but the fact that so many people you know take that to heart is is it's bad bad. (laughs) and the the administration came out and said oh he meant it tongue-in-cheek he was joking but he's done that so many times where he's joking about something that has a much deeper message you know the dog whistle stuff that you know this this was if he was better at joking this would not be a problem if he was like reagan (laughs) joking it would be fine the bombing starts in five minutes (laughs) all right topic number three I want your guys' predictions for the politics of the Olympics. And now both of you seemed really, really not excited about this topic because we were talking about it before we went on air. All right, gentlemen. Will North and South Korea play nice at the Olympics? Will Mike Pence try to punch North Korean officials in the neck? Uh, And what to make of all these supposedly banned Russian athletes running around in neutral uniforms? Uh, And uh, from my perspective, how pathetic is it that the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, is caving and allowing all these Russians... Uh, to participate. All right, so what do you guys think is the most compelling political story coming out of the Olympics starting this Thursday? I'm just waiting to see how many um, South Koreans get poisoned. Um, <laughs> so this is the tactic by quote North unquote, Korea. Quote, unquote, randomly. Right. Yeah. No, yeah sorry. <laughs> Anyways, go on. Go on. Phil? <laughs> uh, I mean, the, the two... 
the the two political stories are again the north south sort of reconciliation that yeah. seems to or not reconciliation but the any sort of attempt at you know unity or anyway that, that's playing, all that's all good they're playing handball together man that that's that's and a real hockey. deal yeah it, it's, it's is, is handball yeah, a I winter mean, sport i don't think no, handball, no. oh okay i'm sorry maybe not sport. handball then <laughs> sorry Parker. they're playing something together <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, I mean, I think that's all good. I think the symbolism of that stuff matters. But I, I think that is also about to be, you know, I'm going to undermine that with the my take on the second story, which is that <laughs> the Olympics are bullshit. Yes. Like the fact that, like, you're right, the the caving on the Russia. I mean, there's, there's corruption behind all of this and who gets, you know, which cities get the, the it, it's, yeah. I mean, I, I don't take any of this to be too terribly serious. And in fact... I don't I don't know. I think, um, you know, the Olympics are, are sort of marketed as this. The world all comes together and we recognize our common humanity. But it's also like a massive, like nationalistic cheerleading thing. Right. In mm-hmm. which countries are like cheering for their country to stomp other countries into the ground. And we're better than everyone else. So I, I, I don't I'm a little skeptical about the sort of good that comes of it as well. Um, but yeah, the fact that Russia, that the IOC is just like, well, not all Russians were doping, so we're going to let all of them except a few back in. It, it's yeah, such it's bullshit. Absurd. And for it the is. record, at the Sochi Olympics, Russia had set up another building next to the you know testing lab where they were passing these test tubes back and forth and putting clean urine urine in these tubes. They they had figured out how to break the you know you put the special cap on so you can't get in there i mean russia is as corrupt when it comes to the olympics as any country maybe in history yeah and the the ioc came down and said all right we will ban the russians good for the ioc and then they're like well the clean athletes will let them compete you know in these different uniforms they, they said it was all circumstantial evidence it's, it's t- <laughs> Are you out of your fucking it, mind it is so clear i mean the so this documentary icarus which is on netflix is so powerful i mean because the guy the guy who was basically running the lab is now in a witness protection program in the United States because he's afraid that Putin's going to get him. It, it is it's awful, awful that any Russian athletes are are participating because there should be some penalty. And if it was some small country, if it was Micronesia, they would have no athletes. But the fact that it's Russia means that you know, hun- not hundreds, but athletes will participate. You a big Micronesia fan? Yeah, I am. Yeah. It's yeah. beautiful. They're going to yeah. be underwater in a few years, so you got to support them. <laughs> so, <laughs> at the Winter yes. Olympics. That's right. <laughs> um, Anything else? I, I just... Yeah. I, I mean, the Mike Pence thing, I, I think, is yeah. hilarious. It's... They made a point of saying they're um, pleased to see the cooperation between North and South Korea, but on every stop of his, um, his Asian tour, he's going to tout the... Um, uh, uh, inequities of the North Korean regime and and their record on human rights and nuclear prolifer- uh, proliferation and just go like I get it too but I just uh, it's, it's both, just not good timing. Both sides are playing it right. So North Korea, the only reason they're hanging out with South Korea is is a way of you know, separating the United States and alienating the United States. So Pence is there to counteract that, right? But you're right. It, it it's sort of. But, 
not, the not way productive. that they're going about counteracting it is counterproductive right, at the same right, time. Like the best right. thing to do would be just to ignore them, right? To go embrace, you know, the Olympics and be friends with all your friendly countries and yeah, but this this seems it just seems kind of petty. Right. Not not to go back to my original shitty joke, but if all of a sudden people start dying from South Korea or, or other Olympic delegations that have contact with the North Koreans then maybe you have some shit to talk yeah. about. But until that time, maybe just shut up for a couple weeks. It'll probably be okay. What's, what's your favorite winter sport at the Olympics? Cur- curling. Curling, of course. What's right. he going to do? We're in agreement. We're, We're in total agreement. agreement. <laughs> I'm not a fan of the Winter Olympics. They're just boring. The skiing's fun. They go really fast. They do go really fast, but it's only fun when they crash. But no, curling is fantastic. Curling is oh, fantastic. For a couple weeks, I can't get enough curling. The other <laughs> the other part of the political whole aspect of this. Bell, is, we made it. <laughs> just to close this out, there have been a ton of stories about how, uh, even for the Rio Olympics and the Sochi Olympics and, and the several um, summer and winter Olympics beforehand, all of these buildings and structures and whatnot are already abandoned. Seven months after Rio is done, a, a, a huge amount of those structures are completely abandoned. Yep. No economic driving force that you know was brought along with the Olympics. It's just it's a money pit. It becomes a curse if you actually win the Olympics right. and they, they come to your city because you, you have to pay these expenses, which long term, it makes sense to have a handful of places where you do the Olympics and you could keep going back there and maybe even divide it up. I don't Just know. make yeah. one city. Right. Just make, we're, we're going to make a brand new city. We're going to build it. In the middle it. of the Pacific Ocean. Yes. No, no, no. no. <laughs> Athens. Athens. Yeah. Yeah, okay. No, we can't right. trust. Sorry, we can't trust the Greeks. <laughs> on that right. one. All right, topic number four. We're going to shift back. Uh, to, oh, back to Israel. All right. So, uh, Israel began warning thousands of African migrants Sunday that they must leave by the end of March. Officials said under a plan that could see them jailed if they refuse. On January third, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu announced implementation of a plan to deport about thirty-eight thousand migrants who had entered the country illegally. Um, the controversial plan gives them until the end of the month to leave uh, or face jail time. Uh, now, many Jews in, have complained that this is inconsistent with their faith and history and what the country represents. So this is a story that's not getting a ton of attention, but it's really fascinating in terms of a country that's facing these two dilemmas in terms of their historic development and their mission, uh, but like the day-to-day logistics of governance. So um, I don't know. Where are you guys at? Nick, this was your topic. I, I, I you found yeah. this really interesting. Like I found it. Yeah. I, it it's I, I didn't see it anywhere. I had to dig through like three other stories to get to this, yeah. and it was purely by accident. Um, I, like I, I understand why um, Israeli Jews and 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 people who are living in Israel would find this anathema to their history and and faith, but. You also have to look at the reality of the situation. It's an extraordinarily small country mm-hmm. that has a lot of security issues on its own without a massive migrant influx. I don't necessarily agree with the sentiment or the um, the widespread nature of what's going on, but I understand the mentality of what they're trying to accomplish and what they think is, at least from an administrative political standpoint, what is best for their country. Right. And I think there's a divide between the government and, necess- and the people. Yeah. 
Philip? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting tension where you have a, a, a country that is, um, I mean, that it's, it's you know, its beginnings, its roots go back to essentially this level of persecution and, and you know, refugees and, and, and whatnot. But it's also... A, because of that history, also a, a a country who is like nationalistically based on this, you know, single sort of ethnicity and religion. So you have those two playing out, right? The history, the sort of sympathy for people who are, you know, who are refugees, but also like the the national identity part of. I mean, that's incredibly important to Israel, right? This this the sort of religious ethnic identity as part of it. And I don't know how you reconcile those two. So I, I don't know. I haven't read a whole lot about this. They're threatening to arrest them or to deport them. Both. Because they're asking Both. them to leave. And I think they're even paying for their plane tickets to leave. They're, uh, if they leave voluntarily, they'll give them, I think it was like $3,500 mm-hmm. or something like that, plus a plane ticket but to an undisclosed location. Which I heard was Rwanda. Uh, yeah, it was Rwanda or maybe Ethiopia. Yeah. I think one of the two, but both of those countries have denied mm. that they were. But if they don't leave, then jail time. Right. Yeah. And forcibly mm. deported. It's, 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 it, you're right, Phil. It's this interesting contrast between a country that was created to protect Jews, but at the same time to represent Jewish values. Right. Which is embracing refugees, embracing those who don't have a home. Right. Uh, there's a movement within Israel right now by Susan Silverman, who is Sarah Silverman's sister, I believe, the comedian. Really? Yes, yes. Okay, go take, on. Take that as fact, Nick. Okay. Um, and it's basically like an Anne Frank movement. So they're they're housing these African refugees and try to hide them from the Israeli mm-hmm. government, which is bizarre, right? It's this really bizarre thing. Yeah. It's true, Nick. Uh, <laughs> it's true. So, you know, where you have Israeli society engaging in behavior and supporting refugees in a way in which the government itself isn't. And I will say Benjamin Netanyahu has been fairly coarse in talking about that population. So so I guess this is the question. I, I mean, I think this is a good um, case study in when we're talking about uh, especially the migrant influx from North Africa and the Middle East into Europe and the the surrounding region, do other countries start, if this, not necessarily successful, but if this is effective, do other larger countries, especially, I don't know, Greece, France, potentially, maybe Italy, start going forward with measures that are similar to this? I think it depends on what happens? Do do people say, okay, we'll take the plane ticket, or do people stay? And my, my guess is people will stay. That would be right? my bet. Yeah, if you're in Israel, this is a, a good place to land, especially given you know the geographic location of Israel. There's, it's easy for African migrants to get there. Um, yeah. the, the fascinating thing to me about all of this is that so much of our human rights law and, and international law that governs how you can treat people um, – emerged after World War II and in response to what had happened um, in in Germany, well, in Europe to popu- you know, a wide variety of populations, but specifically to the Jewish population. And so things like, um, you know, international law regarding refugees and what you can do with refugees that, have, that basically states that you can't force con- people to return to the country. You know, if you have fled a country um, because of fear for your own, you know, uh, you know, person, Based on you know religion, politics, there's a whole list of, of what is legally protected. You, you can't be forced to go back to that. You can't be 
you know, you can't be forcibly returned. And so you have Israel, who is sort of the product of, you know, so much of international law was created because of what has happened to people of the Jewish faith, who is now trying to sort of push back against some of these laws. It's a really interesting yeah, dynamic. Yeah. And I don't know, I don't really know how to, what to make of it. It's weird. It is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Nick, it's parade time. Yay, right. parade. So I, I titled this, Seriously, You Want a Military Parade? What's wrong with you? <laughs> All right, President Trump's vision of soldiers marching and tanks rolling down the boulevards of Washington is moving closer to a reality in the Pentagon and the White House, where officials say they have begun to plan a grand military parade for later this year, showcasing the might of America's armed forces. Now, the marching orders were from Trump. I want a parade like the one in France. That's that's literally what he that's literally what he said. I made a joke about that to someone today and probably said the same thing without knowing what he said. <laughs> so so the backstory is Donald Trump went to France for the celebration of Bastille, Bastille Day. Day. Yep. Yes. And France had a wonderful military parade and Donald loved it. And now he wants one and it's gonna happen. And it's not just what about this? It's a presidential directive. So are we pro military parade? No, no. So I, <laughs> no, we're I mean, not. He, he wanted one, or like he made comments right after he got back from that trip about how we should do that, and everyone yeah. sort of just dismissed it or ignored it. But it sounds like from the articles I've read, he keeps mentioning it enough, and he's he's mentioned it directly so enough that the military has now started to treat it as a presidential directive. So the president has told them to do this; they have to start doing it. <laughs> oh, so. God. It's just in the planning stages at this point. And I, the stuff that I've read is that they feel like they have to be planning it because the president has told them to. But they don't know who's paying for it. They don't know anything about and and the cost of bringing like massive amounts of tanks and troops to Washington, D.C. to parade through the, the center of town um, would be rather costly. Millions. And, I mean, we're talking like 12, 15 million, right? Well, they said it would and, just I would. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I would assume more than that. Yeah. The tanks are expensive. Well, I think they said it would destroy a lot of the a lot of the roads and streets and thoroughfares throughout Washington DC if they did that, which I don't really give a shit, but all price to pay. <laughs> yeah. Right. So there have been a number of individuals within the military who've I should say retired military who've pushed back to say this isn't what the American military is about, right? This is this is what authoritarian totalitarian regimes do this is not what the united states done and united states does and we have a history of separating this no we do it on the fourth of july when we have air shows and we get to see the blue angels and a couple of b2s and that's all we do and we're good with it (laughs) don't need the tanks quite yet it's true i mean there is something about the the sort of uproar that's a little hypocritical right That, that we're like how we don't do this but except for at every college and professional sporting event where we have military jets do flyovers, where we have air shows, where we have, you know, massive everyone stand up and honor our troops everywhere we go. Like there's it. I don't know. It, I, it makes me uncomfortable that the idea of this, of parading the military through D.C. But it's I don't is it that much further off from how we sort of, you know, venerate the military already yeah yes yes I, yeah, absolutely it's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a terrible yeah. idea as much as i made fun of that yeah if it's only different. because the regimes that do this are north korea i mean today uh the former france si- they're democratic 
barely, barely. <laughs> so, and there's a different history in France, right? It's it's a shorter history. The military has played a bigger role, but in the United and, and <laughs> sorry, I had to do that. <laughs> in the United States, well, especially this is coming from Trump. I guess maybe that's it. If the president says we're going to have a military parade and everybody's going to love it, and you know, if not, you're un-American. Like that, that's that's a deeper problem, right? I, I, I get what you're saying about the national anthem and the Fourth of July and the hyper patriotism of America but if if that translates into military parades it's it's bad it's 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 bad nick yeah, yeah, okay, okay, I, I agree. Someone, <laughs> someone should point out to Trump that if you if you accumulate all the military in D.C., they could overthrow him really easily, and maybe that would make him really uncomfortable and <laughs> decide to a, back away from it. That's not a oh, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think anyone, whether it's Kelly or I mean, he's got generals all around him, have they said to him, Mister President, we don't have a history of this, and I I know you enjoyed that parade. Has that conversation happened or I mean it should happen. I'm at a loss for whatever conversations are happening are happening in the White House yeah. at this point. Because it seems like that would be a reasonable point to make to say, Mr. President, I understand you love the military. We love you. This is fantastic. We love but, you. But there is <laughs> there are consequences, negative consequences to celebrating the military in a way in which we historically haven't done. So we probably shouldn't do this. And does he just respond, I want a parade? So, <laughs> you're, you're clipping. Don't do that. I'm sorry. I think, <laughs> I think bureaucracy is is um, uh, fairly independent um, a lot of times and is pretty effective at doing at ignoring the orders that it doesn't want to follow. Not I mean, they can't directly ignore an order. Right. I mean, the, if the president tells the military that you I'm, you're going to give me a parade. Um, they have to do that, but they're pretty effective at taking their time, making it really complex. I, I got to imagine that the military essentially is like, yeah, we'll start working on the planning of that, mm-hmm. knowing that, you know, it'll take they can easily drag out the planning to eight years, in which point somebody else is, you know, a different president. And it's not a non-issue at that point. So and, and Congress, I, mean, I shouldn't say Congress, a number of uh, members of Congress came out today and said, no, we are not paying for this. And I don't know. I don't know who pays for parades. Who does pay for parades? Especially military parades. <laughs> Lemonade sales. <laughs> right. right. Sales. I mean, let's say it's, I, I don't know, let's say it's $25 million. I don't, I don't know what the number is. That still has to be, would that come out of the Pentagon budget? I mean, you know, Nick, you'd rather spend that <laughs> otherwise, right? On cyber warfare and... Going after the Russians? No, I want to see what kind of cool missiles that we have. And it's, it's it's really cool. I want to see gotta all be the some tanks way, and stuff. There's got to be some way to do like you know, cardboard cutouts or something. <laughs> yeah, that's all we need. To do. Yeah, it's there's going to be a military parade down Pennsylvania Avenue, and one of the missiles is going to blow away or something <laughs> like that. It's the only person that has to be pleased with this is Donald Trump, right? So he feels like he gets his parade, and we're do, good. Do you think we'll look back? 25 years from now and say that we were responding to a, not a crazy person but just like that goofball person who had random ideas and our government just was like okay you want to you want a parade sure no, this was the time when we were the most american ever <laughs> and we were at our best those two things again can both be true <laughs> <That's right. laughs> oh good topic oh that one hurt a little bit yes. <laughs> i think that's it right? all right um, if you like what you hear, 
uh, on our podcast. Um, or even if you don't like what you hear, um, there's lots of different ways that you can get a hold of us and tell us either way. Um, is this going to play? Because I really hope it's going to. Uh, <laughs> oh, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> um, you follow us on Facebook at uh, Barstool Politics, Twitter at Barstool Paul. Uh, you can find <laughs> the beers we try on uh, Untapped. Uh, which you can download on, um, uh, why can't I think right now, um, the App Store or um, Android or whatever. Uh, also the podcast, uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, uh, Stitcher, TuneIn. I'm so distracted by this song yes. right now. <laughs> um, anything else that I'm forgetting? No, I think that's all of it. Okay. Yeah. I, I can't think either. You know, so. no. <laughs> the gap. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week. Any, I'm sorry, cheers. anything else? Yeah. No, no, no. cheers. All right, thanks, guys.